0: In 1998, a disappearance occurred on a cruise ship as it navigated between some Caribbean islands. The case became so complex that the American government, even without jurisdiction to investigate crimes on international waters, became involved in this mystery. It is a case that intrigues many to this day, and due to the amount of clues available, it suggests that the missing young woman is both close and far from everyone. This is the story of Amy Bradley. Amy Lynn Bradley was born on May 12, 1974 in Virginia, United States. She was the daughter of Ivor and Ron Bradley. The couple also had a younger son named Brad who Amy was very close to. The family lived in Virginia in Chesterfield County Amy was tall with green eyes. She had several tattoos, one on her leg, one near her navel and another on her shoulder. Her tattoos had some striking characteristics that were to be of fundamental importance in the investigation of this case. She excelled at sports including basketball and swimming. She was the only student at the university who had a full scholarship in physical education as she was considered to be a great basketball player with a promising future. In 1997, at the age of 23, she graduated university and moved to a small apartment to live alone and begin her independence. At some date between 97 and 98, Amy's parents won tickets for a Caribbean cruise. The trip was funded by the travel agency where Ron... Amy's father, worked. The whole family took a flight from Virginia to Puerto Rico on March 21, 1998. From Puerto Rico, they embarked on the cruise that would last seven days. They would anchor in Aruba, Curaçao, St. Bath and Puerto Rico. Amy, her brother and their parents stayed in the same room, on the eighth floor of the ship. It was spacious, and had a balcony facing the sea. The ship was very big. It had 11 floors with 999 passenger rooms plus crew accommodation. On that trip, the ship was carrying approximately 3,000 passengers and 700 employees from all corners of the world including Japan, Australia, Germany, Nigeria and Brazil. On the first day, the 22nd, Amy and her family visited Aruba. They disembarked the ship to enjoy a sunny day together. Amy's parents noticed that a band and some dancers had boarded the ship. They arrived with boxes and suitcases and were going to give some performances. But Ivor and Ron also noticed that some residents of the island had embarked with them but had offered no assistance with the luggage. It appeared that these people were not paying guests on the cruise but were friends of the performers and had boarded to watch a performance. During the night, the family returned to the ship to make a restaurant reservation on board. At dinner, a waiter took a particular interest in Amy. When he saw her alone walking to the bathroom, he approached her. He invited her to go to a place called Carlos and Charlie's in the city of Aruba, but she declined the offer. The bar he wanted to take her to is famous and is often frequented by ship staff. Amy found his invitation very strange but she had no intention of accepting. She talked to her parents about it and said that he gave her a strange feeling and they, of course, agreed that she was right to decline. However, the family wasn't too worried as they were on the ship, a place they thought would be safe. On these cruises in the 90s, there were professional photographers who took photos and then put them on a kind of display so that people could see them and buy them if they wanted. Amy and her brother were resting one evening after dinner. They decided to go to the display and see if there were any interesting photos, but to their surprise, the photos taken at Amy's table had been removed. The person responsible for the photos assured them that all tables had been photographed and that they did not know what could have happened to their images. They had simply disappeared. The photographer offered to print them again, but they said he didn't need to. On the night of the 23rd, a live band was playing. Amy noticed that the band's bassist seemed interested in her and she was pleased. After the performance, they went for a drink at one of the ship's bars. In the early hours of the 24th, at 1.30am, Amy's parents went to their room while her brother danced in the ballroom. Brad returned to the room at around 3.30 in the morning and left Amy dancing with the band's bassist, who had also chatted with and gotten to know Brad. The bassist was known by the nickname Yellow and was from Granada. Minutes later, Amy went to her room. When she left the place there were only between 30 and 40 people left. She arrived at the room at 4.15am and stood on the balcony. Amy told Brad that Yellow was very talkative and really funny. They talked a little and when Brad retired to his bed, she remained on the balcony. She fell asleep there. Ron woke up at 5.30am, went to the bathroom and saw Brad in his bed, but didn't see Amy. Amy. The balcony door was ajar and he found her sleeping there on the sofa. At around 6am he heard the bedroom door opening and closing. He got up and went to check Amy but she wasn't there. He noticed that the cigarette and water that were next to her were no longer there and he assumed that she must have gone to the outside area to smoke a cigarette and have a wider view. However, many minutes passed and Amy did not return. Amy's parents and her brother searched for her for an hour all over the ship, but couldn't find her. When the ship arrived in Curacao, Amy's father asked the captain to announce over the microphone that his daughter was missing, but the captain refused, saying it was too early to use the equipment. During the new search inside the ship, Amy's brother met the band's bassist, Yellow. He walked past Brad in a hurry and just said, I'm sorry about what happened to your sister. Why did he say that? And how did he know anything if the only people who knew that Amy was missing were her family, the captain and some of the crew? Amy didn't show up and the FBI was called. That afternoon, the ship continued its journey from Curaçao to the next island. With the police on board and Brad, the parents and some agents went on land to look for her. But that same night, the agents called the parents and said that the crew's search for Amy had not been carried out properly and that they themselves were carrying out a more professional search. Amy's parents and the other FBI agents went to the island of St. Thomas, which would be the ship's next stop. The following day, investigations continued. Yellow was located as being one of the last people to see Amy, he might know something. But in his statement, he said that the last time he saw her was at 1am while they were dancing, and he had learned that they were looking for her when before leaving the vessel, the ship's crew knocked on his door asking after the young woman. But Brad told the police that he left the club at around 3.30 in the morning and that he had left the two of them there together. The ship's photographer agreed to look through his images to confirm the time when they were both dancing. With most passengers aware of the disappearance, a very important clue appeared. Two women said they had seen Amy and the band's bassist together the morning before her disappearance. They saw a girl who looked like her entering the ship's dance club at 5.45am along with the bassist who they recognised as being part of the band that had performed the previous night. The girls noted that even though the bar was closed, he gave her a drink. They didn't know exactly what drink it was, but it could have been Coca-Cola or coffee because it was very dark. These two girls stayed there until 6am and when they left, Amy and Yellow were still there talking. Shortly afterwards the photographer appeared with the footage that showed Amy and Yellow dancing at 3am. In other words, Yellow had lied to the FBI. Furthermore, he also contradicted himself when he said that the ship's employees came to his room in the morning looking for Amy. Yellow was then questioned once more by the FBI and changed his story saying that he didn't know that Amy had actually disappeared. But if he didn't know, why did he tell Amy's brother that he was sorry for what had happened? When asked about this, he lied and said he had not said that to him. Unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to arrest him, so he was released. Amy's father, sitting outside the room where Yellow was questioned, observed the suspect leaving with a smirk on his face and giving a thumbs up as he walked away. For Ron... This was an act of defiance as if to say I passed the test. The cruise ended and there was still no sign of Amy. The investigations continued over the following weeks. The FBI discovered that all the photos that Amy could be in had disappeared on the ship. The possibility of kidnapping and human trafficking was raised and that perhaps these photos were taken as part of this crime. Also, When anchoring in Curacao, all the passengers had to go through immigration and identify themselves. However, at that time, it was rare for immigration to check the luggage and containers as they were being loaded. This reinforced the kidnapping and trafficking theory, as it could have been how Amy was removed from the vessel. The family returned to the USA. One month later, on April 21st, With no progress in the investigation, the family decided to return to Curacao on their own to continue the search. This time, a taxi driver told them that he had spoken to someone very similar to Amy, who had come running towards him. She was desperate, asking where she could find a public phone. He said he would never forget her beauty because of her striking green eyes, and that after he directed her to a payphone, she ran off. This is strange information for two reasons. One, the police spent days interrogating people in the city, and this information was somehow missed. Everyone knew Amy was missing, and the fact that the taxi driver was never interviewed nor went to the police to report it seemed strange. Another thing is, if this girl was actually Amy and she was running away and looking for help... Why would she go to a public phone instead of getting in a taxi and going to a nearby police station? The details of Amy's case were broadcast on several television channels, in the USA and Canada, and after five months an engineer from Canada, around 40 years old, recognised Amy's photo. He informed the American authorities that he had been diving in May '98, two months after the disappearance in curacao and that he saw amy walking on the beach when she heard him speaking english she moved quickly towards him and looked like she was going to speak but one of the men who was with her grabbed her arm and forcefully pulled her away the man gave him a leave her alone look this engineer is 100% sure she was amy he said he saw both her tattoos Hey, Shortly after this report, Amy's parents received an email from a man named Frank Jones, a private investigator. He was a retired Navy SEAL officer, which means sea, air and land, the American Special Forces. Frank employed a team of specialists who could help them with their search. Amy's parents checked his Navy SEAL credentials and confirmed that he was legitimate They decided to hire him because the Canadian's report meant that the chances of her actually being alive seemed high. The costs were not cheap and the family then decided to sell their car. Ron's boss at the travel agency contributed also. Days later, Frank reported that he sent two officers to speak to a woman from Curacao named Judith. She had reported that she believed Amy was being held in a local complex guarded by heavily armed Colombian security personnel. She had seen Amy at the local supermarket and also at a gym. She was always accompanied by a long-haired, tattooed, blonde male. Amy's parents passed this information on to the Curacao authorities, but they said they had no evidence about it and did not investigate. Months later... Frank got back in touch and said that someone in his team saw Amy herself getting into a green SUV with the tattooed blonde man. His investigator tried to approach Amy, but several armed men appeared and he had to retreat. In the year 2000, an American sailor went to the FBI with important information. He said that in the second half of 99 he was working on a ship. It stopped in Curaçao... And he visited a local brothel. He said that a girl in the brothel, upon realizing he spoke English, discreetly approached him and whispered, My name is Amy Bradley. Please help me. I was kidnapped. Two men sent her upstairs. The sailor didn't really understand what it was all about because he had never heard of Amy Bradley. He remembered this night at the brothel after he read an article in People magazine about Amy's disappearance and he recognised her photo. The FBI went to the location, but the brothel had closed due to a fire which had occurred some months earlier. Throughout that year, 2000, Frank continued to update Amy's parents on the investigation. They knew where she was, but her rescue would not be easy. He told them that other girls besides Amy were being held in the same conditions, Although Amy was the team's priority, they would do their best to remove anyone who needed help. For this rescue action, the team would need more personnel and weapons. The family pooled the little money they had gathered, including funds donated by American associations. Ron's boss, who was helping financially, said that he could help again. But this time, he needed concrete proof that Amy was really alive as he was a little suspicious of Frank. Ron spoke to Frank, and a few days later, he sent some photographs of a young woman sitting on the beach, wearing a hat. You couldn't see her face, but you could clearly see her tattoos which matched Amy's. They were sure it was her. Next to her was the tattooed man, blonde with long hair. Ron's boss put up the money to rent a chartered plane for the rescue. Amy's parents had already paid more than $200,000 to Frank and his team, raised through personal fundraising, donations from Ron's boss and several associations. One of Frank's Navy SEALs overheard this conversation. He knew nothing about any rescue. He found it strange and days later this retiree, who we will just call P, found Ron's phone number and called him. He identified himself as one of the investigators on Frank's team. He preferred not to give his name because he had some delicate information to divulge. He said he overheard Frank confirming to Ron on the phone that they were ready to rescue Amy. But this was not true. They were in Curacao but still trying to locate her and she would not be rescued that day. He didn't know why Frank was doing this He had worked with him for some time and he had never seen him acting in this way. The only reason he could think of was that he wanted to give them hope but the truth was they still didn't know where she was. Ron asked about the pictures of the girl on the beach and Mr P said, What pictures? Ron explained that Frank had asked him for money so he could hire more people and weapons to organise the rescue mission. Mr P said, Don't Mr Ron... Please don't send money. He's lying to you. Ron and Ivor endured the same emotions as when their daughter went missing in 98. They felt that they were close to her. But now, once again, she was ripped from their arms. A pain too awful to imagine. The family reported Frank Jones to the authorities. And in February 2002, he confessed in court that he had invented everything. Everything. Investigations concluded that the photos of the young woman with tattoos on the beach wearing a hat were faked. One of the people Frank hired said he put on a blonde wig and sat next to a girl for the photo. For two years of extortion, he was ordered to return all the money he had received, around $200,000, and in addition was sentenced to five years in prison. In 2004, six years after Amy's disappearance, the family received an anonymous email with a photo of Amy. It had been taken from an adult website where criminals offered women to holidaymakers as part of the international illegal sex trade. It was never discovered who sent the email, much less the origin of the photo. The information was sent to the family after the website had been taken down. Someone had saved the image, but only sent it to the family after the site had been deleted from the servers. An identification expert said that when he compared photos of young Amy with the person in the photo, he was sure that this was Amy. Even though the woman was heavily made up and older, she looked exactly like Amy. In 2005, an American woman named Judy Mora was in Barbados, also in the Caribbean. She reported that in a bathroom cubicle in a department store, she'd heard a man threatening a girl outside. You're kidding me, right? you better cooperate. The agreement was made at 11 o'clock. Get ready properly and fast. After a few seconds, Judy could no longer hear the man, and she exited her cubicle. She opened the door and approached the woman. Judy asked if this girl was okay and the girl said, Yes, I am Amy Bradley. Do you know who I am? Judy didn't. Then someone knocked loudly on the bathroom door. Judy said Amy looked at her with a deep sadness in her eyes, which she later realized was a cry for help. Judy took a step back and decided to call the police. As she passed through the bathroom door, she saw three very bad-looking men waiting for Amy. Minutes later, already onto the police, Judy informed them of what had happened. She passed on her information and they went to the scene to investigate. When they got there, they didn't find anyone and the place had no security cameras. Judy didn't know who Amy was, but just nine months later, when she saw her photo in a newspaper she realised that the girl from Barbados was the Amy everyone was looking for. She went to the police and they made a sketch of the girl Judy had seen in the bathroom and also of the men outside. But once again, the police were unable to locate her. Amy's family sued Royal Caribbean Cruise, the shipping company, claiming that the captain could have helped earlier by preventing passengers from disembarking on the morning of March 24, 1998. But their defence lawyers argued that they had followed the security standards of the time. They said that in the time period of her disappearance, approximately two hours, they could not have detailed 3,000 passengers while the search was conducted. They also said that the family ended up relying on the idea that she was alive and kidnapped through information from Frank Jones and that this may have created a false idea in their minds that she was alive. They also said that it was possible that she had fallen overboard and that the various sightings of Amy had never been confirmed. Of course, these are arguments from powerful defence lawyers But what about the photo of the girl on the website who looks so much like Amy? They dismiss them as simply similarities. The theories surrounding this case strongly point to human trafficking. They say that Yellow put something in her drink that morning, and so he managed to drug her and take her with him to some place where he placed her sleeping inside a box, which was then taken off the ship in the city of Curacao. This is one of the few cases where I can't choose the best way to conclude the story, because it's such a huge mystery. While it seems that Amy is close to everyone, no one can rescue her. If Amy is alive today, she would be around 48 years old. The case has not been closed, it is still under investigation. But unfortunately, no new leads have been reported since 2005.